I, uh, I suspect um, Mark, your comments about uh, me being short so you go eat was because John Amaya spoke last week. <laughs> so uh, I understand that. So uh, I think John spoke in meditation, didn't he, last week? I think he said he was going to do that. So, so I'll, I'll try to keep it a little shorter than John. So you'll get out by three. All right. Listen to the word of the Lord. James, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree and the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw the tree that was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, these are probably the most tragic verses in the Bible, don't you think? All the sin and wickedness and injustice that we are experiencing today rooted itself in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell before God. They resisted, if they resisted the false claims and temptation of Satan, uh, we would be living in paradise right now. No more sickness, no more sorrow, and relational harmony. But as we see from the text here, verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. In, in other words, the intimacy and the trust that they had in one another was broken, and it affected their relationships and all of our relationships today. Like we live in a world of broken relationships. The fall, it's massive. In fact, when you get to Genesis chapter 4, as you read your Bible, right away we see what? Murder. Brother killing brother. Never expected. Never the intention of God, but because of the fall and the sinfulness of man, relationships were treated as wreckage. In fact, the image and likeness of God was, was shattered. In fact, it wasn't the freedom that, that Adam and Eve ex thought they would have, that their eyes would be opened. In fact, it had the opposite. They were now bondage to sin, the relationships broken, needing healing, death, suffering, separation from God, enslavement to sin, and a wreckage in their relationships. Now, it's important to understand as you read your Bible, and I think you understand this, that in the image of likeness of God was not completely shattered. 
It wasn't the freedom that they anticipated, but the image of God wasn't lost completely. In fact, one theologian put it this way. He says, man as he is by nature is not as he was when God created him. A vast devastation has struck him. Nevertheless, he is great in his ruins like a glorious cathedral. After a bombing, sinful man still displays the grandeur which has, was his when he first stood on earth as created in God's image. In other words, we haven't lost the image of God completely. We look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we see a faded and distorted image. Not the image and likeness of God when he first created us, but we are still in the image of God. Yet, yet sin has infected and, and poisoned our relationships, hasn't it? We see it in our world, we see it in our marriages, we see it in our family. So here we are together as we start the new year with, I hope, a renewed commitment to transform our relationships through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be the kind of people that Christ wants us to be. Yes, we are relational beings. We were made that way. The animals don't have that kind of relationship. We have two cats, regrettably. Uh, they don't have the likeness of God. <laughs> Some of you are saying, yes, I know that. I mean, they're not, they can't relate to one another other than their basic needs of food and that. I mean, I'm not going to argue against some, you know, response to humans or animals, but we are in the likeness of God, still have that relationship, and we have basic needs that we still need to have fulfilled that the animals don't have. For instance, we have the need for love, don't we? We have the need to have someone who loves us no matter what. We, ha we have the need for acceptance. Someone who accepts us for who we really are. We have the need for security. Someone to protect and defend us. And as relational beings in the likeness of God, we have the need for significance. <laughs> someone who gives us meaning and purpose in life. By the way, Adam and Eve had these needs met perfectly in God. He loved them unconditionally. He accepted them. He protected them. He gave them meaning and purpose in life to rule the world and enjoy him forever. And down deep inside, if, if you and I are truly honest, we long, don't we long, deep in our hearts for that unconditional love that acceptance for who we really are, the security that we need in a dangerous world, and aren't we really longing for significance in our short lives here on earth? It's hard to be in the likeness of God, be relational beings. So here's the truth I want to stress you this morning. I just want to unpack this because the gospel addresses this. As we begin this new year, see your relationships transformed in your marriage and your family all around. Here's the truth. Your union in Christ and my union in Christ frees us and empowers us to sacrificially love and accept one another. In other words, being united with Christ provides the foundation for meeting those basic needs 
that we have in the image of God for love, acceptance, security, and significance. And being united with Christ provides that foundation so you and I can be free to give that love and acceptance to others. That's the gospel. In Christ. You read your New Testament, especially Pauline epistles, it's used numerous times. In Christ, in Him, and it's a key to our relationships with Christ, obviously, but with one another. Someone said this, to be in Christ does not mean to be inside of Christ, as tools are in a box or as clothes in a closet, but to be organically united to Christ as a limb is to the body or as a branch to the tree. John Stott said it well. He said, to be united with Christ is a personal relationship with Christ that is distinctive, mark of authentic followers. That's what we are. We are in Christ this morning. And that has everything to do with our relationships. There's two parts of being in Christ. I'm going to break it down two ways. One part is Christ in you, Christ in me. If you're a true believer this morning, that's a reality. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You probably know it by heart. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. In the life that I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have this empowerment of Christ in us to live and to love and accept one another freely. But there's another aspect of being in Christ, not as a Christ in us, but Christ, we are in Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth. Again, another passage that you all are familiar with, you probably memorized it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's radical what Christ has done for us. We are in Christ, and he is in us. Matt Perlman said, to be united with Christ, we in him and he in us, is the core of our salvation. For everything involved in the fullness of our salvation flows out of union with Jesus Christ. And it is the key to transform relationships. It's a liberating truth that we must not forget. Being in Christ transforms our relationships, brothers and sisters. We are free and empowered to sacrificially love and accept one another in Christ. Now, you might ask the question, well, how are we really free? What's this mean? How are we free to sacrificially love and accept one another? Well, there's two important questions that you and I can ask and should ask in our lives. Question number one is, who is Jesus Christ? I mean, that's the foundational question, right? I mean, that's bottom line. Who is Jesus? But there's a second question that is important as well. Who am I? Who am I? What's my identity? Now, if you ask me my identity, sometimes our identity can be defined by ourselves, right? You might ask me, who are you? And I say, I'm an elder, a pastor at a church, or I'm a grandfather, a father, I'm a jogger, you know, all those kind of things that I do, but that's not really my identity, is it? 
Or identity can be defined by other people who uh, place on us certain identities. If you've grown up tragically in a home where there's been abuse, you see your identity perhaps, and you try to shake that I'm, I'm an abused child, or I'm a divorced spouse, or whatever, and people define that and place that on you. But to be defined in Jesus Christ is to be defined as a new creation. Who I, the, the question is this, not who am I? The most important question is, who am I in Christ? It's a difference. It took me a while to learn that in my life. I've been a pastor for a lot of years. But I said, who am I in Christ? Proverbs 19.22. I have a plan that I read through the Proverbs every, uh, every month, in addition to other passages, and I come across, come across this all the time. Solomon asked the question, what person desires, what a person desires, or makes a comment, what a person desires is unfailing love. Proverbs 19.22. And then a little later, in the next chapter, he says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And I remember writing in my journal, the answer is not on finding unfailing love in my wife, Diane, because she can't provide that unfailing love. She's not perfect. I'm gloriously married for 47 years and way above my pay grade and uh, didn't deserve her, but by God's grace. But she can't provide that unfailing love. Nor can a parent, nor can a best friend, and I wrote down in my journal, the answer to have unfailing love is Jesus. He loves us with unfailing love. No greater love than this, than a man would lie down, give his life for a friend, Jesus said. First John chapter 3, verse 1, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? The children of God. That is who we are. So we talk about these basic needs, relational needs, because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Because of our identity with Christ and our union with Christ, these needs are met. For instance, could I share with you this morning, just remind you of a truth you probably already know. In Christ, you are loved with a perfect love. And I'm loved with a perfect love. Romans 5, 8. God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. Scripture's full of this. Zephaniah 3.17, this is one that I look at almost every day as I kind of recalibrate my life in my identity in Christ. Zephaniah writes, The Lord God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. He takes, listen to these words, he takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love. He shouts over you with joy. <laughs> wow. There's no one else on earth could give me that. What can anybody else give you that? He shouts over us with joy. And then the high priestly prayer of, of, of Jesus in John 17, and 
It's a great prayer, but listen to the words. He says to the Father, I in them and you are in me. He's talking about us so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and listen to this phrase, and have loved me, and excuse me, have loved them as you have loved me. You catch that? The Father loves you and me as much as he loves his own son. <laughs> Amazing. He adopted us as rebels. We're not, and by the, his blood he shed for us, and now he loves you and me the same way he loves his son. There's no more perfect love, is there? And it's not a fleeting love for those of us who are in Christ. It's an unfailing love. This love we just sang about is so deep and steadfast. You're familiar, I think, with Psalm 63.3. It's a, it's a statement that I, I try to bring to my own life. My, he said, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is what? Better than life. <laughs> Listen, no one else in this world, spouse, son, daughter, whatever, can give us that, ultimately that kind of love. Is in Christ through the Father. And this love is not fleeting. It's not something that's happenstance. And you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, uh, what's it mean by marriage, for instance? Well, you know, my wife and I have been married 47 years. And uh, I love her dearly. But I can't give her the kind of love that Jesus can give her. Because I'm going to fail. I'm still a sinner. And vice versa. Now, it doesn't mean that I, just, I don't tell her I love her. I don't mean I accept her or reach out to her. But in, in, in essence, it's, it's her relationship with Christ. And my relationship with Christ that provides that so that I can overflow with that love. In other words, it makes me not a consumer of relationships, but a giver of relationships because I am loved by the Father. You see? But also in Christ, this basic need, you are accepted and I am accepted forever. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Accepted by God. We just talked about where we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 7, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. We are free to accept one another because we've been accepted by God. So I don't have that need anymore. I can overflow with that acceptance to others. You see? It's all in Christ. Another need we talked about, part of being in the image of God, a relationship need, that our security... But in Christ, you and I are secure. I love this passage. I keep coming back to it in my own walk with Christ. Talk about our being buried, dead with Christ, being raised with Christ. And Paul writes in Colossians 3.3, 3, For you have died with Christ, and your life, listen to this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Can there be anything greater than that? Talk about security. 
an insecure world. We are in Christ secure completely. Jesus said, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. Psalm 18, 1 and 2, the psalmist writes, I love you, my Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. My brothers and sisters, that's security, isn't it? It's not going to be found in finances. It's not going to be found even in the relationships that we have. Ultimately, it's going to be found in Christ, isn't it? In Christ, significance, you and I have meaning and purpose in life. I mean, there's so many passages we could talk about here, but I think in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he writes to the church, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness as his marvelous light. Mission, purpose. That's why we exist. We don't have to meandering through life. We have a glorious mission because we're united with Christ. Significance. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Here's, here's the significance. So glorify God with your body. Where are you looking for significance? Where am I looking for significance? And brothers and sisters, it is in Christ. It is in Christ. Those basic needs are met. In fact, you could put it this way. Those basic relational needs, because we're in the image of God, that animals and other creation do not have, the need for love that we have in Christ, you are loved unconditionally forever. The need that we have for acceptance and listen, be honest, we live our relationships a lot for acceptance, don't we? Maybe it's subconscious, but we do it. But that need for acceptance, my brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are accepted forever. Or the need for security. And we look for that in different places, but ultimately, in Christ, we are secure forever. And then the need for meaning and purpose in life, <laughs> we have that meaning and purpose in life. In Christ. You, you see what I'm saying here? You know, the, the gospel is so central to how we live. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ and we have these needs met, we are freed and empowered to sacrificially love and accept others. We don't have to be dependent on others to meet our needs. Now, the beauty of the body of Christ is if we're all living this way, then we're meeting one another's needs because Christ is working through us. But I don't have to seek that from you, and you don't have to seek that from me. We have that in Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, we no longer have to be relational beggars looking for this, driving for it, because in Christ, we no longer are relational beggars, but we can be relational givers. Free, overflowing, because we've been loved by the Almighty God forever and accepted forever. There was a uh, 
popular brace that was being sold a number of uh, months ago. And, uh, in fact, it was a warning among some believers because I knew some people on Facebook who were believers who had bought it. And um, on this bracelet, they kind of squished it in on the circle of this bracelet. It said this, I am enough. A general reminder to love and accept yourself always. Forgive yourself because your mistakes don't define you. I am worthy. I am loved. I have enough. I do enough. I am enough. Now, I think we can understand why this statement was made in the, in the sale of this bracelet would find traction, wouldn't we? In a broken, disappointing, abusive, and even deadly relationships. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of flawed thinking even amongst believers endangering this kind of statement, sort of hunker down, find in yourself all that you need in yourself to cope with relationships. You're not going to find the love and acceptance by anybody else, so accept yourself and love yourself. Well, my brothers and sisters, we have Jesus. We have that. We have that. Amy Bird, who's a great writer, who's a wife and a mother, she comments about her own life, and maybe certain the ladies can identify with this, moms, but um, even as dads can. She writes, the beauty of our humanity is still evident, but ugliness abounds. When I lose it with my children after a long day of interruptions, I see clearly once again that I'm not sufficient. On the best days, on my best days, when I make chocolate chip cookies and get down on my knees and play Legos with my children, I'm still not enough. I'm not enough for my husband, who is not enough for me or my children. We need and are wired for a perfect parent, perfect spouse, but we will never be perfect or enough in this fallen world. Amen? Now, that's no excuse not to pursue those things, but here's the truth. In Christ, we have more than enough. I love the illustration of uh, Paul Tripp and David uh, Tim Lane and how people change. It illustrates just the radical change that happens when we're in Christ and our identity and how we live. Imagine a little boy, they write, who has been born in a poor family. He grows up malnourished, poorly dressed, seldom clean. He has little education and few prospects. He leaves home, gets a job as a caddy at a luxurious country club. And one day he meets a young woman from an extremely wealthy family. Much to his surprise, she asked him to be her caddy. This began a long relationship that amazingly culminates in their marriage. At the exact moment he says, I do, his life changes forever. He is recipient of a new status, wealth, power, and prestige, yet he has earned none of it. It is simply that the result of this renewed relationship with this woman his marriage changes who he is and what he has and how he experiences life and how he will live the rest of his life. In other words, being in Christ is a game changer, brothers and sisters. We have all that in him. When we admit that we are not enough and those around us are not enough, 
we are free to run to God who is enough and meets our most basic relational needs of love, acceptance, security, and significance. And we are free then to reach out to others with sacrificial love and acceptance, not seeking or demanding it from others, but giving it. Let me confess to you something that's pretty obvious that you might want to confess. In myself, I am not enough. Nor are others enough to meet my need of unconditional love and acceptance for who I am and total security and significance. But my brothers and sisters, I've realized this in my life and I'm still learning it. In Christ, I have enough. There's a song by Hillsong that... Uh, is, uh, I'm not quoting the whole verses, but it's, a, it's one that just resonates with me. It goes like this, Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need in you, everything I need. Do you believe that this morning? This is the gospel. Everything you and I need Perfect love, perfect security, perfect significance. We have in him ultimately. And here's the danger for us even as believers. If you and I build our lives and identity on relationships and approval from others, we will constantly be hurt by criticism and thus even lose friends. We will fear confronting one another and they'll be useless as brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we have this security and identity in God's love and acceptance, we are free, free to empower, to love and accept others. Some of you know the Gaithers, they're kind of an old group now. They're, I don't say they're dying off, but they're not singing as much. But they, a number of years ago, they wrote a song. And... Uh, some of you might recognize it, but it's what the words they wrote. It said, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best loves me the most. I am loved. You are loved. Won't you please take my hand? We are free to love each other. We are loved. Brothers and sisters, we run to understand who we are in Christ, that we are loved and accepted by him. It just radically changes our lives. We are empowered by the Christ within us, but we are free because we are in Christ and we are loved and accepted. And so we are free to give that to others. Isn't that how Jesus lived? He was in the Father. He was loved by the Father. He gave his life and he gave his self and he served others. See, when your heart is full and overwhelmed with God's love and acceptance is found in Christ, you will be free to love and accept others, even if they don't respond in kind. Even the closest relationships that we have, and my marriage is great, and I praise God for my marriage, but I'm not going to depend on my wife and say, you've got to meet this need. I want to be free to give to her because I am loved in Christ and accepted vice versa. It's freedom. It's blood-bought freedom. 
in Christ, I am loved as much as the Father loves his Son, so I can freely love you. And by the way, it's not a reciprocal love. It's an overflowing love. In, in Christ, I am accepted for who I am, so I can gladly accept you, all your flaws and warts, and vice versa. Now, I'm not suggesting but excuse sin and not confront one another, but it's part of love. But we can accept one another and welcome one another. In, in Christ, I am secure, so I don't have to seek from you my security. I'm secure in Jesus, and so are you. In Christ, I have meaning and purpose to love and accept those around me for the glory of God. My brothers and sisters, as we embark on this new year, let's enter into the freedom that we have in Christ. To love and accept others because we have been loved and accepted by him. What would happen in our marriages and our family and even here at Cornerstone if we really understood what this gospel means and that in Christ we are loved and accepted fully and we are free to give that to one another? J.D. Greer has written a number of books. He's one of my favorite authors. He's a pastor at Summit Church in, uh, I think, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. He wrote a gospel prayer that I found helpful praying on a regular basis. I was intended to bring a copy of that because I think you put it on your refrigerator or on your mirror. I think it's a great prayer that expresses what we just talked about. Unfortunately, I've had computer problems, my, and my printer went Kaboom, and uh, I expected to have it, a new one on Saturday by Best Buy, but Best Buy has turned to be worse by, and uh, I don't have it yet, so, uh, but here, I'll, I'll bring it next week, because I think it's worth praying. I pray it regularly in my own life, and I'm going to tell you, it's transformed my life. I, I'll be honest with you, I've been a pastor for a lot of years, but, you know, Sometimes we get so much in the, God, in, in the word and the gospel and moralistic sort of preaching. You need to do this and do this and do this, but we don't have the basis of the grace of God and what he's doing in our lives. Here's his prayer. It's to the Father. In Christ, there is nothing I can do to make you love me more and nothing I've done to make you, Father, love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy and the freedom to sacrificially love and accept others. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. It's a wonderful prayer. Simple prayer, but transformational prayer. And I'll tell you first in my own life, and I am not perfect, but it has revolutionized my relationships with people. And maybe it took 70 years for me to get it. I won't be 70 at the end of the month, but this is it. This is the gospel. As you've done to me, I now give to you. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we can live that truth out and transform our marriages, our families, our church, and even the culture itself. They're screaming for these needs to be met, but they've met in Christ. Amen? We have a great God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you placed us in Christ. And Christ, you are in us. 
empowering us to actually live this life. And, and we are thankful, Father, that you place us in Christ. We're united with him and we died with him and resurrected with him. And the same love that you have for Jesus, you have for us. The same acceptance you have for your son, now you have for us. We are righteous before you. You secure us in Christ and you give us significance in life. I pray for us, I cry out to you that the brothers and sisters here, all of us would grasp that truth and live in that reality so that this year we can freely and graciously give to others, not because we are looking to consume from them, but we are just overflowing with your love and acceptance. So deepen that in our hearts. This new year, maybe transform our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.